three, two, one, zero, zero, and liftoff. This is Nuclear Knowledge. Production of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies. Welcome to another exciting episode of Nuclear Knowledge, a weekly show of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies, where we are advancing peace, promoting stability, and helping you to think deterrence. I'm your host, Wally Clark, and today's show is a further introduction into the categories of nuclear weapons effects, the Bostards. Today's topic a nuclear weapons thermal pulse, its production, transmission, effect, and possible mitigation strategies. The views of the host are his own. First, a caution to the listener. Some of today's discussion centers on thermal effects to humans. It is not a pleasant topic. It is, in fact, horrendous. Therefore, listening is your own personal decision. Perhaps you'll recall my first nuclear knowledge podcast, where I, I introduced the acronym BOSTERD, which stands for Blast, Overpressure, Shock, Thermal, Electromagnetics, or, electrom- or EM, Radiations, and Dust. That show, which some have called BOSTERD 1, discussed a subset of the electromagnetics category, the generation effects of electromagnetic pulse, usually known as EMP. Not wishing to sound narrow-minded and only able to discuss EMP, today, in this Bostard 2 podcast, I'll discuss the generation and effects of the thermal pulse. Just as EM had subcategories, so does thermal. They are heat and light. Thermal radiation consists between 30% and 50% of a nuclear weapon's total energy output. An atomic, or A-bomb, uses the energy energy released when a heavy atomic nucleus, usually uranium, is forced to split apart, or fission, into two lighter nuclei. This results in a temperature in the millions of degrees Celsius. A thermonuclear, or H-bomb, uses the energy of an A-bomb's explosion's high temperatures to drive a fusion process. This results in an uncontrolled, self-sustaining chain reaction in which the isotopes of hydrogen combine under extremely high temperatures to form helium. This is nuclear fusion. The resulting temperatures is in the tens of millions to 100 million degrees Celsius, temperatures akin to those in the interior of the sun. This millions to hundreds of millions degree temperature energy goes into heating the bomb materials and the air in the vicinity of the blast, producing a brilliant fireball and thermal pulse. The thermal pulse is an electromagnetic radiation that can be sensed as heat and light. Two pulses of thermal radiation emerge from the fireball. The thermal pulse is an electromagnetic radiation that can be sensed as heat and light. Two pulses of thermal radiation emerge from the fireball. The first pulse, which lasts about a tenth of a second, consists of radiation in the ultraviolet region. The second pulse, which may last for several seconds, carries about 99% of the total thermal radiated energy. It is this radiation that is the thermal pulse 
the pulse creates a similar effect to microwaving a large volume of air. The atmosphere is mostly transparent to thermal radiation, so most of the attenuation with distance is due to a reduction in energy density as a spherical shell of light expands, measured via the inverse square law. Most of the energy emitted by the nuclear blast is within or adjacent to the visible spectrum. So the extent of thermal effects will depend on visibility. Thermal radiation damage depends very strongly on weather conditions. Clouds or smoke in the air can considerably reduce effective damage ranges versus clear air conditions. A beautiful clear day will not attenuate the pulse as much as a hazy day. So I talked about two subcategories. The first is heat. Thermal radiation can ignite wood frame buildings, vegetation, clothing, and other combustible materials at significant distances. It can also cause burns to expose skin. The heat can set kindling, cloth, and other light materials on fire. If fuel is dense enough, a firestorm can result. A firestorm occurs when many small individual fires combine into a single large fire that can sustain its own wind system and thereby continue to feed itself oxygen. Because thermal radiation can start fires and cause burns at distances, if a nuclear weapon is employed against a populated area on a clear day or night with an air burst at approximately the optimum altitude, it is likely the thermal effects will account for more casualties than any other effect. With a surface burst, or if rain or fog are in the area, the thermal radiation effects would be reduced. Anything that casts a shadow or reduces light, including buildings, trees, dust from the blast wave, heavy rain, and dense fog, provides some protection against thermal burns or the ignition of objects. The effects of thermal radiation can be reduced with protective enclosures, thermal protective coatings, and the use of non-flammable clothing, tools, and equipment. Thermal protective coatings include materials that swell when exposed to flame, thus absorbing the heat, rather than allowing it to penetrate through the material. A blade of paints, which act like a melting heat shield, are another form of protection. Materials like stainless steel, as opposed to temperature-sensitive metals like aluminum, are used to protect against thermal radiation. For effective thermal hardening, the use of combustible materials should be minimized. And now the second subcategory, light. At the moment of nuclear detonation, the emitted light is many times brighter than that of the sun, so that even if not looking at the fireball, it can induce temporary flash blindness or dazzle, a temporary loss of vision caused when eyes are overwhelmed with intense light. On a clear night, dazzle may last for up to 30 minutes and may affect people at distances beyond 10 miles. On a clear day, dazzle can affect people at distances beyond those for first degree burns. Because thermal radiation can be scattered and reflected in the air, flash blindness can occur regardless of whether an individual is looking toward the detonation. At distances where the thermal bloom can produce a first-degree burn, thermal radiation is intense enough to penetrate through the back of the skull to overwhelm the eyes. Say that whole sentence again. Because thermal radiation can be scattered and reflected in the air, flash blindness can occur regardless of whether an individual is looking toward the detonation. 
At distances where the thermal bloom can produce a first-degree burn, thermal radiation is intense enough to penetrate through the back of the skull to overwhelm the eyes. Retinal burns can occur at great distances for individuals looking directly at the fireball at the moment of detonation. Normally, retinal burns cause a permanent blindness to a small portion of the eye in the center of the normal field of vision. So, having Arnold Schwarzenegger shade his and Jamie Lee Curtis's eyes from a nuclear fireball, as played in the movie True Lies, would not prevent dazzle or even partial permanent blindness. The prevention of blindness and dazzle is a concern to the Defense Department, and as such, the Department of Defense has several methods to reduce the possibility of blindness to our warriors, including light-absorbing materials and specialized goggles. Finally, I apologize if any of the discussion made anyone uncomfortable. However unpleasant the topic, thermal radiation effects are a consequence of a nuclear detonation. Thank you for listening to today's Nuclear Knowledge Show. I hope you learned something new and valuable about deterrence. Nuclear Knowledge is a production of NIDS, a 501c3 organization dependent on donations to provide its podcasts. Every donation helps this and many other deterrence-related activities happening and helps to bring about awareness of the peacekeeping value of U.S. strength and our national deterrence. This podcast is produced weekly, and each episode is released on Monday. If you enjoy this show, check out our other podcast, The Nuclear Review. You can catch it and all our podcasts at thinkdeterrence.com. I thank our producer, Kimberly Charrington, our sponsors, and all the fantastic members of the National Institute for Deterrent Studies for making this podcast possible. Stay tuned next week for another exciting and informative nuclear knowledge. A production of the National Institute for Deterrent Studies.